Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Mark Defee to the podcast. Mark experienced his first seizure 25 years ago while in high school. After an initial epilepsy diagnosis, he was subsequently diagnosed with post-traumatic epilepsy, resulting from multiple concussions suffered while playing high school football. Despite the diagnosis, Mark was never told to stop playing football. Now a therapist, husband, and father to two young children, Mark is here to tell us about his epilepsy journey and how he learned to accept his diagnosis. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, To get things going, why don't you start off by telling us about when you had your first seizure, the circumstances around it, and uh, how you were eventually diagnosed. Absolutely, and thank you for having me today. Uh, This is really an honor. And I was diagnosed when I was 17 years old, and it was a few weeks before my senior year in high school. I was actually at a, a gas station, and I uh, went went inside to pay for gas back when that was more of a thing. And I was standing in line. And the last thing I remember was looking down kind of at all the candy in front of me and then waking up in this dark room, like truly something out of a movie, like a single bulb above my head, uh, the contents of my wallet spread out on a table with these three strange guys staring at me. Like, Truly, I thought I had been kidnapped. There, there was no other kind of explanation because I was groggy. I was bleeding from my mouth. I couldn't remember anything. They asked me where I was, and I thought I was um, at a store I'd been at hours ago with my mom. And they were just like, no, you know, th- that's not even close. And luckily, one of the men was a nurse, and he was the one who kind of jumped in behind me at line and got everybody back. It was uh, a grand mal seizure or tonic-clonic seizure. And, uh, after I stopped seizing, they picked me up, took me to the back room to kind of get me out of the way of all the onlookers. They had opened up my wallet trying to find a number to call. And so a few minutes later, my parents came bursting in the door and uh, I, it, it was just scary. I had no idea what was going on. And I remember the nurse asking me, uh, have you ever had a seizure? And, and at that time, I, I didn't even know what that was. And he said, do you have epilepsy? And again, you know, what, what are you talking about? Uh, and my parents came, we went to the emergency room. They explained a little bit more about what a grand mal seizure was and said, there's not a lot we can do if, if he's not having a seizure right now. So they sent me home and my parents and I were kind of terrified. Like, what do you mean we're going home? This thing just happened. And a few days later, I was at a neurologist's office and uh, had a self-induced seizure. So I was having an EEG, the sleep deprived and um, make you, you know, look at the strobe lights, hyperventilate yourself. And it was the hyperventilation that, that got me. And so when I came to, he said, I now met the medical uh, criteria to be diagnosed with epilepsy because there was brain activity on the EEG when I uh, started seizing. And so that kind of kicked off uh, this entirely new life for me that at the time, I, I had no idea what was in store in terms of changes. I just thought I was getting a diagnosis that would require me to take a couple pills and go on with my day. But as you know, that's not the case with epilepsy. Yeah, I think so many people come into this disease sort of assuming that, right, that you can just take a couple pills and and be fine and not realizing, A, that one third of people are 
drug resistant, but B, even if you are one of those people that can find um, control through current treatments, it can take a while to find the treatment that works. You sort of hinted at it before, but you know, what did you or your parents, what was your knowledge of epilepsy at the time? I mean, nothing. E even after I was diagnosed, uh, we, we never found anybody who even knew somebody with epilepsy because th that was a key piece. And yeah, we, we didn't know anything about this disorder. And I was never around a group of other people with epilepsy until my, my mid-20s. So what did the, the doctor tell you? So he says, okay, you have epilepsy. What sort of information did he give you? What, you know, what treatment plan did he start you on? Uh, it, you know, medication, and, and it took a, a lot of time to to not only find the one that worked, but find the right dosage because I'd fall asleep in math class, that type of stuff. But uh, at that appointment, the conversation really revolved around a few different things of what my life needed to be based on. And uh, I, I was 17. I, I didn't really care or take him that seriously. But, you know, he said things like eight hours of sleep every night. You know, no, no deviation, medication as you're supposed to. I know it might not feel good or might not feel like it's working. You can't deviate without medical guidance. You need to limit your alcohol intake as much as possible, and you need to reduce the stress in your life. And he gave these kind of matter-of-factly, like, okay, you know, now go out and do them. And I just kind of sat there like, I'm, I'm about to be a senior in high school. You know, there's no way I'm doing any of these. And, and I thought I was invincible at the time. And so it, it took a while to uh, really hone in uh, exactly how to create a life that was uh, not just filled with fear. Right. So you're 17 years old, going into your senior year of high school, trying to figure out your own life and who you are. You play high school football and you've had three concussions. How long did it take for someone to connect those two, the, the epilepsy and the concussions? They, they connected it pretty early. Uh, I, I'd actually had two by then. And um, when they saw the brain activity on the EEG and saw that it came from the left side of my brain, the abnormal uh, electrical activity, that's when they kind of said, well, that's where you had had both of your concussions. So obviously we can't be definitive because it feels like nothing's definitive in epilepsy, but our best guess is it came from these concussions. So they connected it really quickly, but no medical professional ever said you need to stop playing football. And I actually had my third concussion after being diagnosed. And I think I missed maybe a few days of practice. I certainly didn't miss a game because, uh, where I went to high school, football was a big deal. And, um, and that was just part of it. No one tells you not to play football. You have a third concussion. They always said, it's up to you if you want to keep playing. And I was like, I'm a 17 year old kid, been working for this since I was in fifth grade. What do you think I'm going to say? It's, it's shocking. Thankfully, concussion protocols have, have come a long way. Um, and, and I hope take, you know, parents and students sort of listen to your story and take heed in it and, you know, learning from this and understanding why all of these protocols that we have now are so important. You're diagnosed during high school at a time where, you know, your social life is the most important thing going on in your world. How 
did your diagnosis affect you? Was it something that you shared with your friends at school? Did it affect you academically? Yeah, uh, it definitely had to share it. In Texas, when you have a seizure, your license is taken away for six months. So uh, I remember driving to registration with my mom. Uh, that was fun. And, you know, kind of everyone then finding out for the first time because registration truly was like a week after getting diagnosed. And so we had to begin informing uh, teachers and football coaches and all that. And we, we just hadn't done that yet. We figured we'd do it at registration. And so uh, in, in the cafeteria, you, 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 I could almost see this wave of people finding out because when they didn't know, they treated me like the old Mark, uh, you know, coming up, hey, you know, senior year, this is gonna be so much fun, blah, blah, blah. When they did find out, uh, you know, they, they stood a little bit further away. They talked in a softer voice. Hey, how you doing? Uh, so you could tell that they were immediately seeing me as more fragile. And uh, again, I'm not going to stop playing football. No one wanted that. But uh, they definitely saw me as someone that they had to walk on eggshells around because they didn't want to be the thing that caused a seizure. And they, they certainly didn't want to see one. And it, you know, it, it hurt. It felt lonely. But I also couldn't really blame them. I mean, I didn't know anyone else with epilepsy. It'd scare the heck out of me to, to see that. So I, I wasn't angry or frustrated, but it did change everything for me. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Did you know that one in 26 Americans will develop epilepsy in their lifetime? For more than 20 years, Cure Epilepsy has funded cutting-edge, patient-focused research. Learn more about our mission to end epilepsy at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. So you mentioned that it took you a while to get to a dosage of your medication that both worked for your quality of life so that you weren't falling asleep in math class, but was also, you know, helping your seizures. So Mark, were you able to gain some sense of seizure control once you found this balance of the medication and finding that right dosage so that you weren't falling asleep in math class, but you were hopefully able to control some of these seizures. Yeah, I, I was. And I feel very grateful for that. I mean, as you know, epilepsy is a spectrum and I'm very fortunate to be on the well-controlled side. And so it was really when I uh, deviated from all the uh, medical requirements or recommendations that, that I really got in trouble. I mean, uh, at first, as we were dialing it in, I, I would have seizures. They, they were always at the house. And so uh, I've never had anybody see a, a full-blown you know, tonic-clonic seizure except my family. I've kind of evolved <laughs> over the years the type of seizures I, I have. And so it became more apparent. But Early on, uh, when I chose to lean into my new diagnosis and everything, I, I did pretty well. But there were moments, you know, where uh, not sleeping, I would have a seizure in the middle of the night because I came home after a football game and then went and, you know, drank with friends because I was an idiot <laughs> at 17. So I would wake up in the morning realizing I'd had a seizure, that type of stuff. But I've never been one of those people who've had it multiple times in a day. I, I worked with a lady one time who had 80 seizures a day. And if she forgot to put her helmet on before she stood up, I mean, she, she could really harm herself. And so I feel very grateful. I've never been through that and that uh, 
compared to a lot of people, I, I was able to get controlled pretty quickly. And then you went to college. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and you, you know, you talk about, you know, the doctor saying low stress, don't drink alcohol, get lots of sleep. And those are all things that are just for the average college student get thrown out the window. So tell us about that process. How did you choose which university to attend? And what were those early years of college like for you? Yeah, uh, sorry, you saw me adjust in my chair because this is a part of my life that I look back on just going, what are you doing? Uh, but I remember the summer before college, my neurologist, my parents sat me down and gave me this big talk about how I needed to take this seriously and, and all that. And I, I agreed, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to be on my own for the first time. And I've been newly diagnosed. And so my my ultimate response to that was I went and joined a fraternity. <laughs> so I, I couldn't think of a, a better way to say, I don't believe you or uh this isn't happening to me. I'm, I'm invincible, you know, still that mindset of not being willing to accept it. And I, I ended up going to Texas tech and I, and I enjoyed it. I grew up uh, a lot in West Texas because my grandparents and extended family lived there. But looking back on it, I'm not sure I would have gone to school there if I didn't have family there. Uh, for me, it was important to be somewhere where I could call someone who knew, because for me, keeping this under wraps was important. Uh, obviously when I joined a fraternity or started pledging, I didn't tell them anything. I never went to the school asking for accommodation because for me, it was one of those, if, if people don't need to know, I'm not going to tell them until, you know, absolutely have to. And because of that mindset, it, it didn't take very long before I had to tell them because I had another seizure. I had to get my uh, license up again, all that. But in my mind, if I just ignored it, then everything would go away. I understand that your roommate freshman year moved out. And so you, you know, had a dorm room to yourself and you're in a fraternity and you're having nighttime seizures, reading that and knowing what we know now about SUDEP, I am just so... Um, I feel very lucky to be talking to you. I mean, it's, yes, I feel very lucky to be talking to you. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying to read that and to know, you know, how, how scary that can be. And I wonder, you know, your thoughts looking back on that now, and you, you sort of talked about that, but you, you changed your mindset at some point during college from, you know, living dangerously with your diagnosis to taking it more seriously, when did that shift occur? I, I think it occurred uh, junior year. I, I would say it would probably have occurred faster if someone had ever once brought up the term SUDEP. I mean, again, I, I didn't even find that out until I was in my mid twenties. Again, we, we saw so many neurologists in Dallas and no one once told me that there's a chance I might not wake up someday and it, it took me a little bit of time in my 20s to wrap my head around that because it felt like a new kind of blow from epilepsy and another punch to the face of, oh, this is out there? This has been out there this whole time? Uh, so, so I think that would have maybe helped me grow up more, but it was about my junior year that I really started uh, paying attention. And, and part of that was because in the semester, in the spring semester, I went on a study abroad program. And so getting ready for it, 
you know, I, I had to kind of get my mind right that no one's going to be there on, on this study abroad to help me. It was a, a trip around the world on a, a ship called Semester at Sea, but uh, I only had one friend that I really knew. He knew about it, but again, I kind of kept it under wraps. And so to do this really amazing thing, I had to grow up a little bit. And then on that study abroad, just seeing how much of the world uh, does struggle, I kind of sat there going, Mark, what are you doing? Like you've, you've been in this pity party mode and yeah, you have epilepsy and it stinks, but there's a lot more going on in this world that I think people could claim to have a rougher time than you. So you should probably just grow up. Uh, and it was when I got back to tech that I was walking through the psychology building because I was a psychology major and I saw a volunteer position for the uh, Lubbock Rape Crisis Center. They needed a pair of professional counselor. They were looking specifically for men because you'd be um, shocked how many men call there about uh, sexual assault. And for whatever reason, I was just like, this, this sounds like something I can help with. And that led the foundation to realize that putting myself uh, out there for other people allowed me to turn my brain off. So I wasn't thinking about my epilepsy just 24 seven. And, uh, you know, now I, I know <laughs> going to graduate school, learning about positive psychology and everything, the fact that you help someone else can help reduce, you know, or increase your happiness, reduce that seizure frequency. And so I felt like I kind of stumbled upon that uh, myself, but once I started doing more of it, it, it just clicked that this is a way for me to keep my life in perspective while also maintaining that healthy lifestyle that's required. So what were the changes that you made to your lifestyle specifically? Yeah, uh, th this is going to sound weird, uh, but I uh, actually had two jobs my senior year and I uh, volunteered at both uh, the Rape Crisis Center as well as uh, St. Andrew's Youth Group, United Methodist Church. And for me, I structured my day in a way where um, I could still be around my friends, but also pay my way in college. That was a, a very big thing for me after semester at sea. And, and so I actually had a job as a bouncer at night. And it sounds so counterintuitive because I didn't go to bed till like 3 a.m. But I structured my day where I would go to sleep and then sleep till you know 11 or noon, take afternoon classes, and then uh, go to my first job, which was a YMCA kind of daycare thing, and then go uh, have dinner and go to my second job. And my whole thought process was, you know, from 8 a.m. till class, no one's really doing anything anyway. So I'll sleep then so I can still be out with my friends at night, but I won't be drinking because I'll be working. And so in, in my mind, I, I came up with this great idea. It, it worked pretty well. I mean, there are some times where I was just too exhausted to do anything, but my whole goal was to help more, pay my own way, and still find a way to be around my friends, but not drinking and uh, putting myself at risk. I mean, I think it's a genius solution, actually. Like, you find this way to still be social. You find the balance in your life that works for you. And I admire that in your, you know, 21-year-old self, finding a way to to make a schedule that worked for you and for your epilepsy because you you know you got to a point where you realized you couldn't ignore it and then you graduate and you go on to have a 20 year career in mental health corporate mental health 
tell us about that journey and and what you learned over those years. I realized helping people is is what I enjoyed. I like talking uh, through kind of difficult moments, and so I, I realized you know counseling is where I wanted to be. And it was my second year in graduate school that uh, I I realized the workplace is where I wanted to focus. And I had this idea that if you could change the workplace, you could change the world because of that ripple effect. And so I, I leaned into that and uh, got into a field called employee assistance programs or EAPs, where we truly focus on creating mentally healthy workplaces through personal and professional development. And part of that uh, played into my story. So my first five and a half years in my career, I was a, uh, a consultant for companies, but a lot of it was crisis intervention. And you'd be surprised how many employees uh, in this country on a daily basis are in crisis at work. And so uh, it was, a moment for me to connect with people who literally had the means in their hands to take their own life, you know, guns, knives, cars, pills, whatever. Uh, it, it was something that everyone around me was like, isn't this causing you tons of stress? Are you going to be able to handle this? You know, this, this sounds like I would just be freaking out. And for me, it was like, it's actually one of the best parts of my day. Cause I can just focus on somebody and, and one thing and, and know that I'm making a huge impact. And, and from there, I, I went into sales and account management, got out of the clinical side and uh, really enjoyed that because then I could put strategies together for large scale uh, promotions of EAP within companies and do a lot of trainings and put programs together for coaching. And uh, it, it kind of took off from there. But everything I do now, I, I try and wrap in that I have epilepsy so I can create that connection, but also say, this isn't stuff I just studied and you know practiced in my career. I've been doing this stuff for 25 years now since I've been diagnosed. And it all started from this, uh, th this watershed moment in my life that led me a direction I wasn't expecting. So as you're disclosing your epilepsy diagnosis, using it to connect with uh, the people that you're helping, how was that information received, both by patients, by employers, colleagues, coworkers? How did you navigate that in the corporate work environment as opposed to in your previous schooling environment? Yeah, uh, and I don't know if my route is the the right one for everybody. I felt more empowered because it it had been some time since I um, had had you know a tonic clonic seizure and. I'm well controlled. And so people didn't see that side of me. And I kind of saw it more as a, hey, I'm, I'm still beating you at sales and I have this thing to carry with me. You know, I have to fly in a day early and go sleep for 10 hours before a presentation. Whereas you fly in that morning, you go home that night. And I'm, I'm at that hotel room after that presentation because I need to sleep before I get on a flight. And so I kind of took it more as a chip on my shoulder and it pushed me harder and because of that, uh, I don't think people really felt like they needed to provide that much accommodation. I mean, my direct uh, bosses, they knew everything. A lot of other people didn't. And they just kind of said, do what you need to do, you know. And, and, and so I felt very fortunate that the people I had to tell uh, really supported me. But a lot of the other people just never saw that side. And so it was something to share with them and help them kind of better understand where I was coming from. But I never really experienced that stigma because I want to control the messaging of when I tell people and 
how much I tell people and who, because I, I, I need to trust them, I guess. But if I'm really going to tell them how, you know, on a daily basis, I can feel my eyes flicker because my medication is stopping a seizure, like that type stuff. Um, try not to tell too many people, but I guess I just did. So. <laughs> <laughs> but we're better. I, you know, I think people are better off for knowing that, that like they, they're not witnessing it. But there are all of these side effects. There are all of these things that you're battling on a daily basis. You know, you you said that your seizures are well controlled, but I, I kind of want to needle into that a little bit because that doesn't mean that you're not having seizures. It's that they are well controlled in a, you know, life seizure balance that you are comfortable managing. So how often are you having seizures? How, how is your epilepsy affecting your day-to-day -day life? Uh, so I, I, I've kind of pivoted, I guess. I, I have a lot more kind of focal seizures where I'll you know, kind of stare off. But the biggest impact is uh, my, what my uh, epileptologist uh, calls just an extended aura because I'll have these moments like hours where I, I can't think very clearly, my body's exhausted, I never go into uh, really a type of seizure, I cannot get out of that until I go sleep for, you know, eight, 10 hours. And so like, I'll, I'll start feeling bad on a flight, barely get off it, slide into an Uber where luckily, you know, I don't have to tell them where we're going and I just fall asleep in the back seat and then, you know, kind of slide into a hotel room uh, and so it is impactful, but not in the way that I, I wake up after a seizure the way I did as as a child and it, it or as a teenager. But um, that still impacts me quite a bit. I just I don't know if I'd, I'd fully say they were seizures, but it's definitely related to my epilepsy, and I, I wouldn't be having these moments if it hadn't have been for my diagnosis. Right. So. Tell me how you found Cure Epilepsy. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I was starting a coaching program for epilepsy uh, titled the Seizing Life Coaching Program. So I was like, hey, maybe I should check out to see if this name's taken yet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and so I found the Seizing Life podcast and then found Cure. And, and then I found more about what Cure was doing. Brilliant. And I understand that you have been helping in some capacity with our post-traumatic epilepsy program. Yeah, they asked me to just kind of uh, provide my thoughts on what life would be like uh, if I had been able to be uh, informed earlier about uh, my susceptibility to being diagnosed with epilepsy because of my, um, my concussions. And my, my thoughts are, I, I really enjoyed high school football, but if someone after my first concussion had said, you look like you're on track to be diagnosed with epilepsy if you keep this up or, uh, you know, there are biomarkers telling us you're at risk here. I think I would have said, okay, I'm done. But uh, that, that wasn't available then. And so I was just really excited to be able to add my perspective because uh, if, if that treatment or those uh, diagnostic tools become available, I think it really can change lives. Absolutely. And what I appreciate is when you can take that experience and help give back to these research programs to hopefully help someone who could have the opportunity to make that decision that you weren't given. 
what would you tell someone who is newly diagnosed with epilepsy? Uh, yeah, I, I think I would stop and acknowledge, hey, this is this is going to change everything. And it's going to take some time for you to wrap your head around it. And it's not uh, a straight line. There will be days where you're feeling really good. And then there will be weeks where you're just so angry that this had occurred and wondering why you. Uh, so there will be moments where it gets tough and it gets dark. But other people have been able to get to that other side if you're working hard on yourself and accepting where uh, we are now or where you are now, I truly think you can find a life of fulfillment and happiness within our new boundaries. Now, I, everyone says, well, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. It's not the case. <laughs> I can't go to the moon uh, or you know go even uh, deep sea diving or anything like that. Uh, but I still have found a life that is very meaningful. And so you can too. It just, it takes some time. It takes focusing on the right things, but it starts with that acceptance that um, for the large majority of us, this isn't going away. And so once you wrap your head around that, you can begin that cognitive process of what do I want my life to be like? Instead of just sitting here saying, this is unfair and why me and poor me? Yeah, that's part of it. And if you're in that place, not, nothing's wrong with you. This is part of the process, but you need to be working towards a moment where you can stop and start asking yourself, what do I want life to be like now? And moving towards that. Those are incredibly wise words. Mark, thank you so, so much for sharing your insights, your story uh, with all of us and, of and helping our community through your profession. It's, um, it's really remarkable and we appreciate all that you do. Well, thank you. And I, I greatly appreciate being on here and having a conversation with you. Thank you, Mark, for sharing your epilepsy journey with us and for your support of Cure Epilepsy and our efforts to prevent post-traumatic epilepsy. Post-traumatic epilepsy is a priority research area for Cure Epilepsy and features a multi-center, multi-investigator research team focused on better understanding the underlying causes of PTE so we can prevent it from ever happening. To support this important work, please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Through research, there is hope. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. Cure Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.